Entrepreneur, author, and financial consultant Mark Bernstein helps high-performing entrepreneurial business owners create a vision for the future and follow through on their goals and intentions. Ange Honorato is a business growth strategist who blends psychology and business together to create conscious leaders and business owners who impact the world. Founders Forum is a radio show podcast sharing the real stories behind entrepreneurship as founders discover more about themselves while providing valuable lessons and some fun and entertainment for you. Now, here's Mark and Ange. Good morning, America. Good morning, Philadelphia. Good morning, Lehigh Valley. Good morning, Arlo. I covered everybody. Good morning, Ange, and good morning, Tina. How are you today? Hello, Mark. We'll, inter- Tina. we'll introduce Tina in a moment. So the thing I'm thinking about before the show is sports because I stayed up late watching the Phillies last night, watching them come back and lose. So, and I was thinking about the emotional roller coaster of that. We've got an Eagles game tomorrow night, and uh, I think we're all Eagles fans here. I know Tina is for sure. And uh, that, you know, um, the Sunday game was not pretty. They won, but it wasn't a pretty game, so that's got me concerned. And then I think, you know, this is only sports. Like, my life shouldn't be so affected by this. Yet, many of our lives are really affected by it a lot. So Tina, I know, is a devoted fan. And I'll ask you about that. Ange, are you the same level? Does you, do you get the emotions of the... Oh, gosh, are you kidding down? me? I'm, I'm, I still play ice hockey. I'm, uh, I'm right. a, a freak for sports. But I have a unique perspective. So my mother is from Philadelphia. I grew up outside the New York area. So... Football, I was kind of split down the middle. I was mostly a Giants fan. I've really adopted being in the hometown now, but um, in many ways, but always a Phillies fan. Grew up with that. But sports, the emotion of it, I will say one quick thing. What I do love about being in a city like Philadelphia is the one city, one team, right? It's hard when you grow up outside New York and there's so many teams to root for and you don't necessarily have that collaborative and unified feeling. So it's been really fun the last couple of years watching the the success of, of the team's so I have the half New York gene too. I'm a closet Yankees fan, but Phillies first. But my my brother is always the Phillies and the Yankees in the World Series, but the Phillies win. That didn't work out that way the last time. But uh, so I have that as well. Um, it is interesting that you know the divided loyalties and teams and all that stuff. The one thing I don't really understand. So my daughter's boyfriend is a Steelers fan. His mother is from Pittsburgh originally, although he didn't grow up there. And I'm like, if the Phillies aren't in it, I'm I'm all in for the Steelers, you know. But that's not the way it works, you know. People are very, very, you know. And I don't see them as enemies. And same thing, you know, Giants and Jets. Let's say, you know, if I were a New Yorker, I'd like to think of the Giants are terrible, which they seem to be this year. You know, I'd go with the Jets, but that's not the way it works. You're one or the other. You know, it's very divided. How about you, Tina? What's your take on all this? Yeah, well, um, I'm a season ticket holder of the Eagles, so big, big fan, committed. We'll be there Thursday night at 8.15 p.m. when the game starts and get home at 3 a.m. So I think that tells you a little bit about my commitment. I grew up in a household that was in northeast Philadelphia. It was Eagles, Phillies, Sixers, Flyers, period. Like that just – there was always some kind of noise going on in the house all year long. So Were your parents from Philly? Because then you have uh, no uh, New York. Uh, right? No, my, yeah. my dad was born in Poland and my mother was born in Cuba. Ah. Um, but they met right. in Philadelphia – and later in life, and um, and that just established it, I guess, for them. Well, we covered that, so <laughs> whatever that means. So Tina is the founder and CEO of My HR Partner out of the Lehigh Valley. I mentioned the Lehigh Valley before, but she is obviously a Philadelphian in her heart. 
Uh, Tina is also um, uh, so one of the things my my HR partner has been three times recognized as a five thousand top five thousand recipient, um, and also in um, multiple best places to work, both state statewide and nationally. Um, her role as the CEO entails oversight of the organization, representing the company through her involvement in the community, nationwide speaking engagements, and writing monthly newspaper column and Inc.com quarterly column. She is also involved uh, in the Global EO Entrepreneurs Organization, and that's how I know Tina, because we're in the same Entrepreneurs Organization forum. And uh, prior to founding uh my HR partner, Tina, was the owner-operator of a staffing service franchise, which she ultimately sold. I have a feeling we'll talk about that. And um, she took advantage of the sellback opportunity and founded my HR partner. Um, she resides in Bethlehem. She's an empty nester af- after raising her two children. Her two red-headed granddaughters, I know, are the light of her life. And Tina is also, interestingly, we were just talking about her background, is the daughter of a Holocaust survivor, from Poland, and her mother was a Cuban refugee. And I'm happy to be joining Tina on a trip to Cuba this January. That's right. Where we're gonna dis- we're gonna go see her roots together. I we talked about it yesterday. So excited! So, yeah, it's gonna be great. So, uh, um, and she was born in Northeast Philadelphia, as she mentioned, and she had experience working at her father's corner deli. So I'm gonna we're gonna have some deli food after this. <laughs> so, um, welcome, Tina. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Both of you. So tell us a little bit about your story, how, where you started, how you got to the staffing company, how you got to the HR company. Yeah, um, sure. So, uh, And how you became an entrepreneur, because I know that wasn't necessarily, uh, well, that was in your blood. It was in my blood. I don't know that it was in my conscious plan, hmm. but, you know, my father had multiple businesses. I found out later that my mother's grandfather had owned multiple businesses. Um, I found out after he passed. And um, I also found out that my father's father had his own little business. So, so uh, I wonder sometimes if it's in, if it's in the DNA, but uh, basically I worked for a staffing service uh, organization as a general manager. And uh, the location I was working at was sold to an individual owner and he was an absentee owner. He really wanted to grow the business, but he wasn't. He really didn't have a lot of interest because he had a lot of other businesses. And so eventually I just approached him and said, look, I'm running this now already. Why don't, why don't you let me buy you out and let me run it and grow it? Um, because I felt like I could, I could focus on it where he couldn't. Um, so he, he was great about it. He actually uh, financed me to be able to do that first business, uh, which back then was you know, a small amount of money compared to what you would do now. But uh, that's how it started. Still and- pretty fortunate, yeah. I was very fortunate. I definitely, definitely agree. And um, and what happened eventually was the corporation merged with another corporation. So I had an option of either uh, selling back or buying out my competitor. So that was a tough thing. I was only four years in. Um, I was in my early 30s. I was young. You know, it was what I thought was going to be my life. And, but uh, the... The other owner uh, ran a business that I wasn't interested in in purchasing, so I really ended up with no option but to sell back. Uh, so, you know, the the one door closes, another one opens. That rule definitely applied here because I got out of the business two months before 9-11. Mm-hmm. And when 9-11 hit, the staffing business, you might know, Ange, is, uh, it really took a huge hit because 
you know, businesses were laying off, et cetera, and there wasn't just wasn't the need. So had I have made that decision two months later and invested in another business, that could have been the demise of my my organization. Right. Who knows? Right. You would have you ended know? the entrepreneurial um, hereditary uh, lineage or something, right? That's right. At least that's <laughs> that portion of it. So so I sold back, and it was it was wonderful. It was a wonderful opportunity because now I had resources to do something new, and and then it was about figuring out what I wanted that to be, and laying out the components. The beautiful part about that was I was able to lay out the components of what I loved and and what I what I wanted to pursue that way and what I didn't love. And I realized that what I really loved was working with independent business owners, with working with people to help them really understand their businesses and what was going to work when it came to people. And so eventually, through a lot of trial and error, I came up with the idea of, at the time, something that barely existed. Of course, the internet didn't exist much either. So it could have existed somewhere, but not in my parameter. I couldn't find anything. Um, And that was outsourcing the process of hiring. Different than a staffing service or an executive recruiter um, was just being paid to do the work and really learn about the companies and work almost within that company because our goal was helping them find the right people versus um, getting somebody in a spot, right? which can be two different things depending on the person doing the placement. I did want to mention, it's interesting, all three of us work, that's who we work with. That's all of our clients, independent business owners. So, um, you know, with something we could talk about too because there are some unique things about entrepreneurs that are different than the rest of the world, you know, as, as we all know. Yeah. Um, so how did, so what made, what was it that made you decide to get to do that? I mean, what, what, how did you come up with the idea of helping uh, helping people to hire the right people. I, yeah. mean, what, I mean, you must have looked at a lot of things. So. I did. It was a process because I was burned out. That that business was hard. It was 24-7. Um, and it was when you're dealing with some big part of my business was temporary employees. It was a lot of headaches. And I knew I, I didn't want something <laughs> that involved that much level of stress for the rest of my life. And, um, and I really... Um, started digging into what was it that I loved. And what I loved was really helping these companies grow and evolve and get to know them. And I didn't get to do a lot of that in the staffing world. Uh, And so I knew that if I could start something. That was more like plugging holes, I guess, more than. Yes, that's really true. Because because in that business, it's it's a quantity thing. You have to have hundreds, if not thousands of placements because you make an incremental amount on each hour somebody's working. So it's, right. that's the game. Yeah. And although we were very good at it and we, we cared deeply about the people we placed, there, there's only so much you can do in that, that line of business. So, so this took us into a whole different place. And so what I did was, and what helped me really discover it, was I came up with the idea um, and I, started, I decided to do a market survey. So I made a list of 35 companies that I thought would be the types of clients that I would deal with. And I added in some that I thought wouldn't be, so to make sure I was on the right page. And as I started doing these interviews, and oddly enough, people were willing to spend time with me on the phone during the interview and uh, during these interviews and give me ideas. And they, they helped to actually form some of the ideas. And then uh, what happened was somebody called, one of them called and said, I know you're not in business yet, Tina, but would you be willing to help us? And I knew, even though I didn't have every perfect form and, you know, everything spelled out on how I would do it, I knew I could do good hiring. So so I did it. And it actually was a, the best thing because by doing it, 
I was able to help develop the process. And I'm a very process-oriented person, so it allowed me to create some processes. That's, it's a great story so far. We're going to take a very short break, and we'll be right back. And I know Ange has some questions for you. Are you ready to take your business to the next level? For over 20 years, my HR partner has been elevating businesses with outsourced HR services. Located in the Lehigh Valley of Pennsylvania, my HR partner works with forward-thinking small and mid-sized businesses and organizations throughout the U.S. who want to harness HR to drive success. They design and deliver tailored HR services such as compliance management, employee relations, payroll and benefits administration, and hiring. With my HR partner as an extension of your team, you will worry less and be freed up to focus on the core operations of your organization. Go to myhrpartner.com to learn more, request a free consultation to discuss your HR challenges, and learn how my HR partner can help. That's myhrpartner.com. We are back with Founders Forum. Ange, I know you're bubbling with questions for Tina. Why don't we, why don't we go with that? <laughs> we're we're going to need about two-hour slot, not, not the extra 15 minutes. I know, minutes, and we've but, got 11 minutes. Right, <laughs> and uh, we were talking offline. You know, obviously, Tina shared, we're, we're a similar space in terms of understanding its talent acquisition. It's, you know, it's bringing in the right people and retention and uh, developing them and, and all of that. And we could talk for hours, but one key question I have for you, I love the fact of where you left right before the break talking about how before you started, you did the right kind of market research, but you also didn't get stuck in the perfectionism of, I don't have everything buttoned up. I just need to jump in and get started. So from the time you did that to where you are today, how do you characterize, how did you build sort of that that ability for you to really understand both what was the client need, but then how did you architect the processes from, because I understand what it really means to, to go through the effort of 24-7 hiring and all of the headaches. So tell us a little bit about that process for you. Yeah. Well, um, the true answer to that, it was really listening, and it might sound cliche, but um, it was me at first. So I could listen and see and observe what was working, what wasn't, what the needs were. And and eventually the business evolved into a full-blown HR outsourcing company, which was never my goal. It was not even on my radar to have an HR company. I'm an entrepreneur that happens to have started an HR company versus an HR person that started um, a company. And and that all, every moment of it was dictated by the clients. So eventually we started seeing that clients were having that we were helping and we knew that we were taking them forward. It was very clear. We were moving them forward by hiring better people that fit in, uh, but they were still having turnover. And so we started investigating, well, what's going on? And we realized that once they're in the door, uh, we can't help what happens. So there needed to be some structure. And the the quick story of the of the long story is, is that we, one by one, every time we added something, clients asked for more and more and more until somebody approached me and said, would you manage all of our HR? And from there, we created processes. And so processes and listening to the clients, to answer your question, and also having the right people, because although I am process-oriented, I am not very good at the detail. So I knew I had to have somebody polar opposite of me creating the actual systems, documenting them and making sure that they work for the next person that we hire within our team. I, I think that's a brilliant leadership strategy, too, because a lot of people feel like, and it's it's a struggle, right, when you're an entrepreneur to know what things do you dish off, what do you delegate. 
And a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with that. No one can do it as good as me or there's a fear of, but I think, you know, the best leaders will tell you that when you surround yourself with people better than you in different disciplines, that that that's really the secret sauce in terms of helping you grow exponentially. So, you know, I think that sounds like that was a, a process that you really implemented to run the business. So that's right. Quick question, Tina. You, I, as an entrepreneur, I, I'm guessing you never had any obstacles you ran into. You never had any problems. Yeah, I was in your all way. smooth sailing the whole 21 years. <laughs> so, of course, yeah. of course, I'm <laughs> being sarcastic. Uh, can you identify at a time in your in your business history where you hit an obstacle and had to overcome it in order to survive and in order to thrive? Yeah, the biggest hit and the best learning lesson of my entire career, all the way down, was uh, 2007, 2008, which some people call 2009. Uh, we were first in line when the market crashed. That that people in that industry of hiring um, started to see a slowdown. Nobody you're, you're knew a lead what was indicator coming. as opposed to a trailing. That's indicator. right. Yeah. Right. I think it was real estate and us, and so we st- we we were just ready to roll out that new HR service. We worked 18 months on it, and all of a sudden, hiring just started plummeting, like almost overnight. And it didn't make sense. We were already in business about seven or eight years. I don't know the math, but you know, quite a, a long enough. To, to see a consistency in our business. And um, I started asking other people if they were seeing it. Nobody was seeing it. So we didn't know what to make of it. And eventually, you know, it started to evolve. And at that time, we had a little bit of debt, a small amount. It wasn't anything really to worry about. We were paying it down. But then it started to escalate, right? I was hanging on to the people. We were getting a roll at the service. Um, but we didn't have our main business anymore. It was starting to just plummet. So we, we had to figure out, do we still roll this out? Do we not roll it out? What do we do? And and there was a lot of steps that had to happen. Uh, but eventually we had to downsize and relook at our structure and work back up. The biggest lesson I learned from that was that initial debt because that initial debt compounded into a significant amount of debt. And once we revitalized and came back to life better and stronger than ever, um, I, I, I couldn't afford to hire as many people as I needed or certain things because I couldn't afford it because I had a big bank loan to take care of. So, How long did it take you to get through that period? Uh, it took a while to pay down that bank loan, but, but to get past that initial period, I'd say about three years wow. of struggle. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Well, that's mm-hmm. And not unusual when you think about a lot of business stories. Um, Tina, looking ahead... If you were, if this, if, if this were three years from today and you look back over the last three years, you, you, professionally, business-wise, you could say personally, you could say financially, what would be your three-year vision um, that, that would determine if that was a successful period in your yeah. life? Well, we run on the EOS business platform, and so it does require you to look out um, Ours is six years. You Entrepreneur's can, operating system. Entrepreneur for, operating for system. It's, it's an exceptional uh, program that's helped me evolve and grow, especially over the last few years. But uh, our our plan, we're in 40 states right now um, doing business, but we're not known in all the states. So we're working very hard at accelerating our marketing and our sales to evolve even stronger, especially in the areas that are surrounding us. Uh, our second biggest market's New York, but uh, Pennsylvania, New York, New Jersey. And I'm 59 years old, so I'm also thinking about slowing down a little and stepping back a little. And so that's part of my bigger plan is is figuring out what I want for my next chapter. Um, I'll probably hang on to the business. I don't see myself walking away. There's no no reason to at this point. 
but what else, you know, what else do I want from my life? Because, you know, it's important as an entrepreneur to remember you're not doing this just for business. Your life isn't the business. It has, there has to be something else. It's a question I ask people all the time. If you're going to sell the business or you're going to walk away from it, or you're going to step mostly away from it, what are you going to do with that time? Because entrepreneurs aren't used to being quiet or just, you know, retiring to golf or retiring to Florida and laying on the beach all all the time, right? That would so, not. That would be my nightmare. Right, exactly. Mine too. <laughs> because this, it's you know, I th- I think about it a lot. I actually been working with a retirement coach, even though I have no intention of retiring anytime soon, just to start preparing my mindset for that. And you know, I, I made a list of things I like to do, et cetera. But the part that's the hardest is that stimulation that you get from building a business. That that thrill. It's never been about the money for me. It never was. Now, as I get older, obviously, it's a little more important, but uh, it never was. It was about that stimulation of building something and growing it and watching people evolve and helping people. So um, I'm working on what I want to do with that. Part of it is EO, actually, staying involved and working my way. They have uh, global leadership programs where you can vol- – it's voluntary, but you know, you're know you involved in helping to, to work with entrepreneurs. I feel like that's a big part of it. I've also invested in some real estate. That's my new thing that I'm starting. So I, I just have to have a few things going, I feel like, or I might wither away. <laughs> we actually have a little more time than I thought we had. We had a little mix-up with engineering out there. We've got about seven more minutes, Anne, oh. so I know you have other things on your mind. So let's switch back to you for a moment. Yeah, I, well, I have a, a, a big thing that's on my mind that we talked about you know, offline, and I think it was something that lit us both up when we kind of realized, oh, you think about this too. Um, which is the concept of the future of work, right? And it's a term for those who aren't aware that has really kind of been born out maybe 10 years ago. I think McKinsey was one of the first people to sort of lay it out as a, as a framework and something that businesses need to think about and how we think about not just what the future holds in the realm of work, but what does the future of work look like? And, you know, that's from the human capital side to the location to all things AI, for example, right now as well, right? So as you're and sitting culture, in, and culture and culture uh, and, and incorporates another area of my passion, which is, you know, mental health in the workplace and, on, and being aware of all those different tentacles, right? But as you're working with your clients and you're dealing on, on also the, the human capital side and learning how their needs have changed maybe now from 20 years ago, what are you hearing from them? What, what's the conversations around? Is there uh, a question for, do we adopt this model? Do we need more from our HR partner? Are we worried about how AI is going to impact? Do you build things? Around? Like where, where are you, I guess, in, in that cycle of thinking about and gearing you personally and your business around addressing the needs of the future of work for clients? Yeah. Well, there's so many answers there. Yeah, it's a <laughs> we big need question. More than seven minutes. <laughs> yeah. Told you uh, we need a two-hour yeah. <laughs> conversation between you and I. <laughs> but the human, the human side of things, uh, I've been actually speaking about that for many, many years, and now it's becoming, as you said, Ange, so much more important because with the onset of HI, there's a risk of losing that human element completely, and we've already lost some of it with social media and and other technologies. Right? We all know that. Um, I was actually called by by a, a news publication just a few weeks ago, and they, they asked me specifically about, and this might help answer the question, they said uh, there's a certain Fortune 500 organizations that are now using AI 
to determine if somebody is terminate is is meeting the mm -hmm. guidelines or meeting the rules. One of them being um, a very large organization that's known for putting GPSs on their employees, and that after this employee is taking too long of a break or in the bathroom or coming in late or whatever it is that they literally are receiving from the AI their termination notice, and they wanted to know how I felt about that. Yeah. And yeah. I'll tell you how I felt yeah. about that. It's <laughs> the way most humans I, would I, feel about it. I can only it. imagine. Yeah, because, I mean, well, the long-term effects of that. So, so yeah, great. AI is going to assist in so many ways that will eliminate the need for certain employees and save companies' costs. And, of course, we always have to be thinking about costs, right? I mean, you can't not think about that. But <laughs> it's also eliminating any shred left of human decency to mm. be terminated by a computer um, would just be a horrible thing. And if that's the way we're headed, then I think the human element, what you're talking about, Ange, is the most important message um, while still incorporating the AI because you cannot be behind the eight ball when it comes to AI or you'll be you'll disappear. Well, fortunately, like any new technology or new innovation, I mean, AI is the biggest thing to come along since – we had somebody on, somebody I asked about it who's coming on as a guest recently. I asked, what's what's the last biggest thing that happened since AI? And he said, the steam engine. I mean, like that, that's how big this wow. is going to like change the whole it's world. It's a new type of industrial revolution, for and, sure. And moving at the speed of sound that we've never seen. And the it, internet didn't move as fast no, as absolutely. AI. Absolutely. And the people that we've had on, Logan Dopp from uh, Turin AI, and this, this fellow's yeah. name is um, Chris Carr from... Um, Farotech is the name of the company. And the, the, look, there's good, great things about AI and there's terrible things about AI. And how you use it is going to determine really what the world looks like down the road. So fortunately, there are people with consciences out there that are trying to do it, use it the right way. And there's probably going to end up being regulation. There's going to be all kinds of things. But it's, you know, it's, a, it's, it's definitely a new world and people have to be prepared for it, however That's you look right. at it. Right. Mm -hmm. so, so some real quick fun questions because we only have a minute or two left. Favorite music? What's your favorite music? Favorite music, classic rock all the way, preferably outside somewhere on a beautiful day. That's my favorite. Yeah, I wish you would have oh, come that's... see my band Friday night. We were classic rock and Blue Bell in beautiful evening. Anyway, but... I need to <laughs> I need to figure out a way to do that. He's he's an hour and uh, about twenty minutes away from me, but I know. you know I got to I, I can figure H out. Something how's your favorite? Who's your favorite artist? My favorite classic rock artist. Oh boy, that's a tough one. I'd say uh, Pink Floyd would be number one. Ah, that's a great choice. I just love that background music. Oh or, man, yeah, yeah, it just takes it's, you away. Yeah. yeah, and so many more. I mean, about, Led Zeppelin, Stones, Beatles. You know, name them. Do you have a favorite book you're reading now? Right now, I'm reading the book Atomic Habits. Ah, so great book. It is an exceptional book. I know it's been around for a while, but uh, I'm, I joined this book club, and this was the book, and so I'm forced to. To get through it, which is good because I tend to start and stop. You had to know. make it a habit to finish yeah. the book, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. And there's great. It's, it's literally an yeah. overall life changing book. It's not just about business for sure. So I've enjoyed that. What what for for our listeners? What what did you like best about it so far? So far that it takes you through some simplistic steps that if you follow with each chapter, you can really apply, and it's not complicated or time consuming or or unrealistic in any way. It's very realistic. Well, Tina Hamilton, thank you for being here today, my HR partner. If you need help, you know where to find her. And uh, everybody have a great afternoon, great morning. It's, after, it's almost afternoon here. And uh, listen again next week to Founders Forum as we have more guests talking about their entrepreneurial endeavors. 